Well, have you ever been in a situation where you just felt like you weren't welcomed? You weren't welcomed. Uh, Many of us have had that kind of experience. Several years ago, uh, actually it's been 20 years ago now, which is incredibly hard for someone my age to believe. But uh, 20 years ago, Michelle and I were part of a church that had a, a really great choir. And they were invited to participate in a concert with a really famous uh, Christian group. Uh, In fact, if I were to name the group, I would almost guarantee you that that most of us, maybe all of us, would recognize uh, the name of the group. But I'm going to let them be unnamed because I want you to be able to continue to enjoy their music uh, without realizing what arrogant jerks they were. Um, Anyway, anyway, uh, our choir was on the the floor of the the concert venue, uh, which was in Dayton, and and they were there practicing for the concert with uh, this group. And uh, there was just a a brief break after the practice until the concert was going to start. And so uh, some of the members of the choir decided that uh, they would like to visit a a restroom before the concert started. And so they began to look around, and they noticed a hallway uh, with a sign pointing to restrooms uh, just off to the side of the the, uh, arena floor. And so they had it over that way. And as soon as they got to the hallway, they realized that about five or seven, maybe 10 feet into the hall, there was a barrier with a sign on it that said, artist only. Artist only. Hmm. The restroom was a mere five or 10 feet past the barrier. And there didn't appear to be any artist anywhere in sight. And so some of our choir members reasoned to themselves that it would not be a huge violation of any protocols to simply walk five feet past the barrier, slip into the restroom, and then quickly come back out. Well, about the time they they crossed, crossed that barrier, suddenly an artist appeared. <laughs> seemingly out of nowhere. And the artist informed them, This area is for artists only. Wow. To which our choir director responded, Do starving artists count? (laughs) And what he found out is that starving artists did not count. (laughs) This area was for artists only. Not welcomed. Doesn't feel good. When someone puts up the not welcome sign uh, to you. Most of us have had this experience. Shortly after I turned 12, my family and I moved from Ohio to Texas. In the city that we moved to, my parents had some very good friends that lived in that city. And they had a son about my age, probably a year or so older. Uh, We later became great friends and were friends to this day. uh, Pretty close friends, actually. But at... Uh, This particular time, when we first moved there, uh, he invited me, actually I think his parents invited me, uh, to a party that he was attending. And so I was to tag along with him to the party, and I found out very quickly in the evening that he was not very happy to have me with him. 
As soon as we arrived at the party, he uh, tried his best to lose me, did a pretty good job of it. And any time that I would work up the nerve to try to close the gap between he and I, he would retreat yet again and create more space uh, between me and himself. I was not welcomed at his party, and it didn't feel good. And it's 30 years later, and I still remember how that felt. And even though we're good friends, every once in a while when we're together, my mind goes back to that rejection, and I think, you jerk. Maybe you've had a a similar type of experience. Maybe you experienced it in high school. Or maybe you're in high school now and and you've experienced this. You are experiencing this. You know, the pain of not being welcomed in some group that you wanted to belong to. Uh, The the, uh, awkwardness you feel when you try to join a particular lunch table and you're informed that this really isn't the table for you. Hopefully those things don't happen in school anymore. I'm guessing they probably do. Uh, Maybe when you started a new job, you noticed that your coworker wasn't particularly excited about you. They weren't very welcoming of you uh, in the office. Uh, Maybe uh, you had the experience of a soon-to-be mother-in-law or father-in-law who just weren't very happy about welcoming you into the family. Or maybe you have a mother-in-law or father-in-law that after 20 years of marriage still are not particularly welcoming (laughs) of your presence in the family. Maybe you have a close friend, uh, I should say more accurately, a former close friend. You had a fight. You used to be close, but now the friendship is really just completely over. You're not welcome around your friend. You're not welcome in your friend's home, this place that used to be so comfortable, this place that really was almost like your own home. Now you are not welcome there. You can't hardly drive by the house without feeling a sense of rejection and knowing that you are unwelcomed. You know, there can be many different reasons why we might not be welcomed somewhere or by someone. There can be many different reasons why we may be unwelcoming to another person. But here are two pretty common ones. Uh, One, some type of enmity exists between parties, causing one or both parties uh, just to be unwilling to be around each other. Uh, The second thing is that one or both parties feel as though the other is somehow inferior to them. Inferior to them. You know, it's painful to be unwelcomed. It's awkward. It hurts. It's painful to have such enmity between yourself and another person that you really can't be in the same place. And it's very painful when you get the sense, or you don't just get the sense, maybe you've been flat out told uh, that someone else sees you as inferior. Here are two realities, two truths that the Bible makes very clear to us. Human beings, you and I, are inferior to God. We're inferior to God. Human beings, you and I, because of our inclination toward doing things that are offensive to God, because of our inclination toward violating God's rightful rule of our lives... 
You know, I talk about this quite a bit, but we look at violating God's uh, rule of our lives, violating God's commandments, what we call sin. We look at those as little mistakes. But what they really are is our removing God from the throne that is rightfully his and placing ourselves on the throne instead. And so because we have this inclination to to do this type of thing, we have caused there to be enmity between God and us and ourselves. It's true that our original ancestors, Adam and Eve, were initially responsible for our relationship with God going bad, but we all follow right along in their footsteps and do things ourselves over and over that are offensive to God. You know, in spite of our inferiority to God, and if you need me to make the case uh, better that we are, in fact, inferior to God, let me just mention that He's omniscient, and we're not. He's omnipresent. We're not. He's omnipotent. We're not. And here's a big one. He's holy, and we're not. But in spite of our inferiority, God has uh, desired fellowship with us. And our original ancestors had fellowship with God in what seems to be a pretty direct way. Uh, We know that Adam and Eve seem to have, according to the book of Genesis, pretty direct communication with God. Scripture suggests even that Adam and Eve would meet with God in the Garden of Eden. It even references God walking in the garden. Of course, we don't know exactly how that worked. We don't know exactly what that looked like. But it seems clear that there was a very close relationship, a very close fellowship between God and Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve sinned. They, they disobeyed God. They dethroned God. And so their sin, their action caused there to be enmity, caused there to be division, caused there to be separation. You know the story, at least many of you do, that God removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Those who were friends now had enmity between them. Romans 5 tells us that all of us in this room right now, apart from Jesus Christ, are enemies of God. Enemies. We have aligned ourselves in opposition to him. We have placed ourselves in the position of being his enemy. And so throughout the Old Testament, we find approaching God to be a very uncomfortable thing for mankind. And we find God being very demanding about how people were to approach him. And so as fallen mankind undertook to worship God in their pitiful condition, they had to be very careful about how they did it. People didn't really approach God directly. They would send someone to talk to God, such as when Moses ascended Mount Sinai to talk to God. He represented the people to God. The people did not approach God directly. As we go in and we're introduced to the role of priest in worship, this was what the priests did. They stood between God and the people. They spoke on behalf of God to the people, and they represented the people to God. 
And as temple worship developed, this division between God and man, this enmity that existed, was illustrated by the fact that the presence of God was isolated from the people in a place called the Holy of Holies. God's presence was there. But people were not able to go into God's presence. His presence was partitioned off from the people by an elaborately woven curtain that was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. Only one person, a priest, could go into this most holy place. And this priest could only go in there once a year. And he better have followed the precise guidelines that were set up before he entered the presence of God or else he would die. In fact, we're told that they would place bells on the bottom of the priest's robe and that they would tie an ankle, a rope to his ankle. And the reason they did this is that if he went into the presence of God and he had not approached God properly, he had not gone through the proper rituals of purification to approach God, he would die. They would know it when the bell stopped ringing. And instead of other people putting themselves in danger by going in to retrieve his body, they would simply pull his body out with the rope. Many of you may remember uh, the story of uh, uh, Uzzah and uh, uh, David. King David was very troubled by this, as you perhaps have been when you've read the story. The Ark of God was being transported. The Ark of the Covenant, which, which is where the presence of God rested, was being transported. It was being pulled on a cart by some oxen, and, and the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah was afraid that the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall. And so he reached out and he touched it to steady it. And when he touched it, he died instantly. God was displeased that Uzzah had come close, that Uzzah, unrighteous, had touched his presence and his life was required of him. The point of all this is simply to acknowledge that God's greatness And our sin has resulted in separation between God and us. He's always been, to most people, up in the mountain with Moses. Or he was behind the curtain in the most holy place and mankind couldn't go there. God's greatness and our sin are why so many of us probably a good number of us in here today feel so uncomfortable with God. I think many of us instinctively feel as though things aren't right between God and ourselves. Even if we have decided to go along with our culture's misguided attempt to portray God as so divinely laid back That all he has to say to any of us, this is the grand total of what God has to say to humanity. I'm okay, and you're okay. Even if we have given lip service to going along with that type of an attitude about God, deep down we sense that it is not true. Deep down I believe we sense that we have a real problem with God. Deep down we sense that our sin, our rebellion against God's rightful rule of our lives is a big, big deal. Deep down I think that 
most people sense, even if they would deny this, somewhere deep down in the recesses of their heart, they sense that our sin does separate us from God. And so we worry about whether or not we're okay with God. We worry about whether or not we can ever be okay with God. We feel like because He is so much greater than us, so displeased and disappointed with us, that, that we're just worried. But we worry that when we finally come to the place where we want to stop dethroning Him, when we finally come to the place that we want to draw close to Him, when we want to come near to Him, we worry that He's going to be like that Christian artist who says, only artist allowed here. Or He's going to be like that stuck-up girl at the lunch table who makes it abundantly clear to you that there's no room for you even though you can see five empty chairs. We're afraid he's going to be like the mother-in-law who who isn't very excited about welcoming, welcoming us to her family. We're afraid he's going to be like that former friend whose house we're not welcomed in. We worry that God is still partitioned off in a place that only a privileged few people can ever get to. We worry that our inferiority and God's rebellion have caused God to permanently remove the welcome mat from us. We're afraid that instead of a welcome mat, God has posted a huge sign pointed directly at us that says, stay away. I believe that some of you here today feel that this is God's attitude toward you. Today, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want us to consider some key truths that the death and resurrection of Christ are meant to communicate to us. I want us to understand what the death and resurrection of Christ mean for us. And here's the first thing that I want us to see, and that is that the death of Christ lets us know that we are welcomed by God to come near to Him where we're welcome to draw close to God. No matter what we've done, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times we've violated God's laws, no matter how many times we've turned away from God's rightful rule of our lives, no matter that we are unholy and He is holy, no matter that we have through our actions shown ourselves to be enemies of God, shown ourselves to be hostile toward God, In spite of all of that, God welcomes us to come near to Him. Listen to what we discover in Matthew chapter 27. Verse 50 says this, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, He gave up His spirit. And then something fascinating occurs that's recorded for us in verse 51. It says this, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So Jesus dies, and at the exact moment of his death, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. Now remember what that curtain was for. It was to keep everyone except the high priest away from the holy place where God dwelled. 
When Christ died and the curtain was torn from top to bottom, it signified the removal of the separation between God and the people. No longer was God going to be walled off from unholy people. No longer was God's presence going to mean certain death for the unrighteous. The separation between God and man was put to an end by the death of Jesus Christ. The curtain being torn in two from top to bottom is God saying to all the people who witnessed the crucifixion of Christ that day and saying to every man, woman, boy, and girl who has lived on earth since that time, welcome. Welcome. You are welcome into my presence. You are welcome to come near to me. I want you to come near to me. The book of Hebrews sheds more light on this. It says, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did He offer Himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not His own. But now He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Paul is telling us that this earthly tabernacle was simply a man-made representation of the real dwelling place of God in heaven. And that what Christ did is that he entered the very presence of God in heaven for us, offering his own blood as a sacrifice for our sins, and that unlike the earthly priest who had to do this every year, Christ did it one time for all. To take away our sin for good, to do away with the separation between God and man forever. Because of this, the book of Hebrews tells us that every single one of us here today can enter the presence of God, can come close to God with confidence. With confidence. I, I like the way the King James Version of the Bible says it. It says that we can enter the presence of God with boldness. We don't have to be shy about it. We don't have to be uncomfortable. We don't have to feel as though it's somewhere we don't belong. We can, we can come with boldness. The death of Christ lets us know that God welcomes us to come near to Him. And so you don't have to feel nervous. You don't have to feel that you aren't welcomed. Because of Christ, you can, no matter how unholy you are, no matter how many wrong things you've done, no matter how often you have dethroned God, you can come near to Him. You are welcomed in His very presence. The news is actually better than that. Not only are we welcome to come near to God, but friends, I submit to you today that God is coming after you. God is coming after you. Through the Holy Spirit, God is reaching out to you. He's been reaching out to you your whole life. He's coming after you. He's asking you as He has drawn near to you through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, He's asking you to reciprocate and to draw near to Him, to stop pulling away every time He comes close. Stop pulling away. The death of Christ lets us know 
that we're welcomed by God. We're welcome to come near. We also know this, that through the death of Christ, we are reconciled to God. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 let us know. They tell us that God reconciled us to himself through Christ and that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And then it adds, not counting men's sins against them. The way that we're reconciled to God is by God choosing to not hold our sins against us. And verse 21 tells us how it is that God has reconciled the world to himself through Christ. Let's us know how it is that God is able to decide not to hold our sins against us. It says this, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Because Christ lived a sinless life, He could represent us before God. God allowed him to bear the penalty for our sin. He he allowed every wrong thing that's ever been done throughout all of human history to be laid upon Christ. And then he allowed Christ's righteousness to be credited to us. It's the great exchange. It's the divine transaction. The one who never sinned bears the penalty for sin. And those of us who aren't righteous because the sinless one bore our penalty, God counts us as righteous. This is how we've been reconciled to God. Through Christ bearing our penalty and God allowing Christ's righteousness to be applied to each and every one of us. The sinless one became sin so that we could be declared righteous even though we aren't. And through him, be reconciled to God. So we're welcomed into the presence of God because Christ has secured our reconciliation with God by paying the penalty of our sin and allowing his infinite righteousness to be deposited into our account with God. But there's more. Yes, through Christ's death, we're welcome to come near to God. Yes, through Christ's death, we are reconciled to God. But today we aren't here simply to remember the death of Jesus. We are here to celebrate His resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus assures us that God is completely satisfied by what Christ did for us on the cross. You are absolutely assured that you're welcome to come near to God. You are absolutely assured that you've been reconciled to God because Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is proof that our sin problem with God has been resolved and that we can approach God with confidence knowing that we've been reconciled to Him. The book of Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 tells us that this is so. It says, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. 
William MacDonald writes that this phrase, raised to life for our justification, demonstrates God's complete satisfaction with the work of Christ. And then he goes on and writes this. There could have been no justification if Christ had remained in the tomb. But the fact that he rose tells us that the work is finished, the price has been paid, and God is infinitely satisfied with the sin-atoning work of our Savior. Stuart Briscoe, a nationally known uh, pastor, concurs and says this, Paul's statement concerning the death and resurrection of Christ shows that it was not the death of Christ alone which provides the basis upon which Christ justifies the believer. For if Christ had stayed dead, he would never have been regarded as anything other than another unfortunate martyr to a lost cause. But through his resurrection... Briscoe writes, He was shown to be the Son of God with power. And accordingly, the divine answer to the human problem. Why is it that we get excited about Easter? Why is it that we get excited about the resurrection of Jesus? Or why is it that if we're not excited about the resurrection of Jesus, we should be excited about the resurrection of Jesus? Here's why, friends. Because His resurrection proves that our problem with God has been resolved. It proves that our sins don't have to be held against us. It proves that we've been reconciled to God. It proves that we can draw near to God with confidence. It proves that there's no more enmity. There's no more separation. It proves that God invites us, no matter our condition, God invites you, no matter your current condition, to come close to Him. And so if you're here today and you know that you are not living in a way that pleases God, You know that through your actions you are dethroning God. God still invites you to come close, to draw near. The resurrection assures us that our debt's been paid in full and assures us that we can be confident of our standing before God. We don't have to wonder if He's going to accept us. Through Christ, His arms are always open to each and every one of us here today. So if you've felt separated from God, if you've allowed yourself to believe that your sin has caused you to be unwelcomed by God, it does not have to stay that way for you. You can come close. You can draw near to Him. You know, maybe you're saying, you know, yes, I want that. I I do want that. I've wanted that for a while. I I have felt for some time that I needed to draw closer to God, but I'm just not sure where to start. I've done so many things wrong. I have uh, pushed Him to the side for so many years. I just don't hardly know how to start. So how is it that we can participate in the benefits that Christ's death and resurrection have made available to us? How is it that we can get to the place where we experience the welcome of God and we know that there's no more enmity between Him and us? How can we do that? How can you do that? Christians call it being saved. 
And if you're interested in how all that we've talked about today can be applied to your own life, if you're interested in knowing how you can get to the place where you know that you know that you're welcomed by God and reconciled to God, if you're interested in knowing how to be saved, the Apostle Paul made it very clear for us in Romans chapter 10. He writes beginning in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. The great apostle Peter preaching his famous sermon in Acts 2. Said to the people that day and his message rings down through the last 2,000 years. To us today, he said these words, God has made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You know, when Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out about, I think it was about eight or so years ago now, there was this great controversy about who the movie blamed for the crucifixion of Jesus. The controversy fundamentally misunderstood what the Bible teaches about the responsibility for Christ's death. Because what the Bible makes abundantly clear and what any Christian who, who uh, understands Scripture correctly uh, affirms is that it was not any one group of people that were responsible for the death of Jesus. It was all of humanity that was responsible for the death of Jesus. It was me who was responsible for the death of Jesus. It was you who are responsible For the death of Jesus. And so if we're going to come to Jesus, we need to do what Peter said to the crowd that day. Is we need to acknowledge that we are among those who crucified Jesus. Jesus, whom you crucified. We have to acknowledge that our sins crucified the Lord. We have to acknowledge that we crucified the Lord. And we have to acknowledge that this one that we crucified, Jesus, is in fact the Lord. We we, we have to receive Him as the sovereign of our lives. No more dethroning Him. No more de-godding Him. But now we have to enthrone Him in our lives. We have to esteem Him properly. We have to give Him His place of sovereignty In our lives. Not only that, but we have to believe in the resurrection. We we have to believe in what we're celebrating here today on Easter Sunday. That God raised Jesus from the dead. We have to believe that. If we're going to have our problem with God resolved. We must believe that Jesus in history was literally raised from the dead. If he wasn't, the Apostle Paul tells us that our faith is useless. No point in any of this if Jesus did not, in fact, raise from the dead. And so it's not enough, friends. And you may have heard this. You may have heard it in a church. But it is not enough to acknowledge what a great story the resurrection is. 
It's not enough to affirm that, well, you know, the resurrection has great meaning for our lives, whether or not it's really true. It's not enough. It's not true. To be saved, we must believe that God, in fact, in history, raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus is a living Savior. If Christ is not risen, we are not forgiven, but He has risen. Paul goes on and writes, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You want to be saved? You want to have the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection applied to your life? You want to stop feeling as though God has a stay away sign directed toward you? Believe the truth about Jesus in your heart. That means really believe it. None of this stuff about it has meaning whether or not it's true. Really believe it. And believe it enough to go on record that you believe it. Declare your belief, your trust in Jesus. Romans 10.13, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says simply, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's no more complicated than that. Call on the name of the Lord. And you will be saved. Now let's think about this. What does it mean when you call out to someone in a time of need? It means that you recognize that person as someone who can help you. Someone able to help you. And so we experience this in our homes when our kids are in trouble and they call out, Mom, help! Dad, help! They do this because they know that you love them and they know that you are able to help them. So when we call on the name of the Lord, it means that we have come to the place where we finally see Jesus as the answer to our problem. And that's what has to happen for us to be saved. We have to believe the truth about Jesus. We have to get to the place where we truly believe that Jesus alone is the answer to our problem. And when we do this, when we get to the place where we finally cry out to the Lord, it indicates that we have finally come to understand He is our only hope. He is our only answer. And when we finally see Christ as our answer, that's when God has promised us that we will be saved. No maybe, no might, no we're not sure, we have to check the manual. None of that. We will be saved. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. You're welcomed to God. You are reconciled to God. You're assured, absolutely assured, that the enmity between you and God has been resolved by the cross of Jesus. You can receive the benefits of everything that Christ did for us by believing and confessing the truth about Jesus. By simply recognizing Him as the answer to your problem and calling out to Him. I cannot think of a better time for someone to do that than Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, 2012. God's calling out to somebody to stop pulling away.
and to draw near. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen. Just as he said. Friends, you do not have to be afraid of drawing near to God. Because he has risen for you. Just as he said. Why don't you stand? The worship team is going to come and lead us in a couple of closing songs. I can't uh, go through an Easter Sunday without giving somebody the opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. So I'm just going to ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you say, yes, I want to quit pulling away from Jesus and I want to draw close to Him today, I want to have the benefits of His death and resurrection applied to my life, then I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. I have to be clear about something. If If you repeat these words after me and it doesn't reflect what you uh, really feel in your heart, then you're just just saying stuff and nothing's going to happen. But if you pray this prayer and it really reflects what you feel in your heart, you can be saved today. You can receive the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. You can cross over from death to life. You You can leave here freed from the responsibility of all the sins that you've ever committed. You can leave here knowing that God has cast your sins in the sea of His forgetfulness. What a wonderful thing that is. So if you want to do that today, I just invite you to pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I am sorry that I have disregarded your rightful rule of my life. God, I'm sorry that I've taken you off the throne and placed myself there. I understand this is sin. And today I I renounce my sin. I renounce my rebellion against you. And I ask, I ask God, that you would allow the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection to apply to me today. Save me in Jesus' name. God, I trust that as I have asked for your salvation, that you have given it to me. And I ask that you would now empower me by your Spirit to live the rest of my life in a way that pleases you. 
Help me to honor you. Help me to honor Christ's sacrifice with the way that I live my life from now on. If you guys would just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anybody here that would acknowledge that you prayed that prayer today, committing yourself to Jesus perhaps for the first time? Or perhaps you did this years ago, but you never really changed your life, and so you want to recommit today. If you would, just raise your hand, whatever the case might be, a first-time commitment, a second-time commitment. I see uh, three hands so far. I see a fourth hand. Anybody else? I'm going to wait just a minute. I, I think there are another couple of you. I see a fifth hand. God's coming after you today. Don't pull back. Don't pull back. You're welcome to draw near. Do it now. Okay, you guys can look up. I saw five hands. I, I obviously don't know if you're committing for the first time or recommitting, but whatever the case is, I've asked... Uh, Ben Yee, our assistant pastor, and two of our elders, uh, Jeff and uh, Andrew, to be up here at the front. Uh, Many of you know them. If you don't know them, uh, ask around and you'll be pointed to the right people. But I have asked them to be up here and pray with those of you who made a commitment to Jesus today. I think there's something really important in, in declaring your faith in him. And one of the ways you can do that is simply by stepping out of your seat, coming up here and allowing them to pray with you and affirm the decision that you've made today. So I encourage you to do that.